Hey, I'm Joe Pantoliano. And I'm Daniela Pantoliano. And if you don't know by now, that is my father. I am his daughter. And welcome to No Kidding Me Too. So this is so exciting that we're having our first musical country artist, writer and actor, Waylon Payne. Waylon Payne. I love that name. It's a great name. Country artists always have great names. Well, you know, he was named after his godfather, Waylon Jennings, Mm -hmm. and his dad uh, was a guitarist, Jody Payne, uh, played with Willie Nelson and the rest of the world. And Mm -hmm. he truly is uh, from a legacy. His mom's Sammy Smith, a true creative legacy of country artist royalty. He has a very interesting story, and I'm very eager to hear him talk about it. Waylon's second album is out now, his first in 16 years. Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, The Pusher, and Me, which chronicles a bleak period in his life when he was in the grips of drug addiction, grieving the death of his mother, and among a lot of other heavy topics that you'll hear when we talk to him. And there's hope in the album. It, it really categorizes his journey. Yeah, and if you, know, if you haven't seen him in the movies, he was amazing in Walk the Line, where he played Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, we made a movie together uh, uh, called The Identical. That uh, That's how we got to know each other. It was uh, such a big hit, you'd never heard of it. <laughs> Legend in my own mind. People want to hear from us, I think, kind of. Um, by now, hopefully we're like semi-interesting. But I think really they want to listen to Waylon uh, speak and tell his story. So um, let's get him on. Let's He's do in the it. Green one waiting for us. Let's do it over Zoom. Let's do it. Now, Waylon, have you ever met Daniela? I don't think so. Did we ever have a chance to meet in Nashville or anything? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I was actually going to ask how you guys know each other. Me and Joey. Yeah. Uh, we know each other from this old burlesque house way back in the twenties. Oh, very cool. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we did a film together, actually, a great film. I'm sure you've seen it. It was, um, I mean, it was a masterpiece. It was in every theater. It was called The Identical. I mean, we were in every theater. Oh, that's right. The Identical. And then in three theaters like Saturday. Yeah. Did you ever see that, Daniela? I didn't. I didn't see that one. I can watch that one, though, because you Daniela's don't die. Not a, yeah, Daniela's not a big... Well, believe me, we all died in that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> several times. <laughs> uh, but we had a lot of fun. But at least the checks cleared, and like, quickly. They they were That was like one of the best-paying jobs I ever had in my life. I think that was the way they dealt with their problems, if they had any. They just threw more money at it. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's perfect. The good old days. That's how they, the show business used to be like that all the time. So I want to know how, how you're feeling, uh, Waylon. You and I have, have uh, a lot in common in that for a long time, I, I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me and I just wanted people to leave me alone. But then I, I admitted I had a problem and that my life had become unmanageable and I, I asked for help and I had to make amends with uh, during the course of all this, I had to admit my my illness, my disease, and seek help and take baby steps back to a path of uh, humanity, I guess. But in terms of empathizing with that corner um, of granite, because because of the early traumas of your your life. What what did it take with you? Because it it, it was a long road for you uh, to back to sanity. Man, Joey, I will tell you, 
Uh, I've been talking a lot about this lately. I just had a new record come out, of course, you know. And um, in many, many ways, it feels like it's my very first album because it covers mm. the last uh, 30 years of my life. And uh, I honestly feel that the one thing and the one reason that I'm alive today is because I had a very profound and solid and miraculous experience with love. And it was a huge love. It was uh, not at all what I thought I was going to get because in our minds we're trained to think that we're not better than certain things. And, uh, and when I stood back and I realized that this was a different kind of love and uh, if I trusted it, it might, uh, it might save my life, you know, um, then I did. Uh, it took a lot of work. Uh, I, I had I had let myself end up in a situation where I had not dealt with some stuff from, from my youth. You know, I went through some some abuse as a as a, as a teenager, and uh, it culminated when it came out. Uh, I, it also came out that I was gay, and the family just could not handle it. They couldn't deal with it, and so they 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 disowned me, and um, we didn't see each other for a very, very long time. Some of them never again. Uh, my mother and I got back together and came back around about six or seven years later. Um, but we never dealt with that initial trauma. I never did. Nobody ever did. We just swept it under the rug like everybody else does and went on with our lives and never questioned why we were mentally unstable or having breakdowns or we couldn't have a relationship with our dog even because we were just fucked up, you know? And, um, well, you weren't fucked up. You were damaged. So you, uh, you, you, you were hurt. Well, I was very hurt, but the only thing I knew to do about it was ply it with, with drugs and alcohol. That's what I learned from my father. When I, when I, when I was thrown out from this one family, I, I was able to hook up with my dad and he was a rock and roller and, and we never talked about what happened to me cause he couldn't deal with it. So we just did drugs and we did alcohol and we tried to forget about it. Well, it, that's how I started dealing with things. And I never, that's how I always dealt with things and um, move forward. Many, many years later, I was at a breaking point and uh, I met this friend of mine named Edward who just some reason somehow made a difference. He just, he broke through, he broke through the wall and he got to me and um, I fell in love of course with him thinking this was a, my, my, my savior. And wow, I've got this. And he was like, no, 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 no. That's not what, that's not what we're about. I love you, but that's not what we're about. If you'll trust me, I think I can help you. And I trusted him and he did. It took some reprogramming, but I had been so damaged that I thought every man I met, I was entitled automatically or expected to sleep with, you know, it was just the thing that had always happened. And you know, that's not really what things are about. And when you stop putting yourself in situations where you're open to, to being hurt, you know, and you, you respect yourself a little bit more and you realize what you're doing that is attracting the stuff to you and you try to make a conscious change, then I think you're able to. It didn't happen overnight. It took years for me to put down drugs. Um, I stopped doing drugs on April the 5th, 2012. And shortly after that, I believe that I hooked up with you, Joey, for the first time we met uh, because we were doing a film in Nashville and uh, you 
you played such an instrumental part in me staying sober. I tell everybody about it because it is such a heavy thing to me. Um, I would not have been able to stay sober had you not pointed me to the 202 and to the friendship house. It just wouldn't have happened because I was, well, maybe it would have, but I don't, I think it was a lot easier because I had that. That was the first time that the program was presented to me in a non-threatening way. Mm. And that program helped me. And um, I just trusted my friend Edward and I, I started, I got sober first. That was the first thing. And, and once you have no barriers to the mirror that's in front of you and you can see it clearly, then you're able to clean it where it needs to be cleaned or you're able to change it out if it needs to be swapped because it's broken and it doesn't serve any purpose. You know, you can make changes. I held on to that for dear life. You know, my little friend Lake, Edward's son, I quit doing drugs because I wanted to watch him grow up and I knew he depended on me. So it was a moment of grace and, and, and I've never, I've never had a, never had another thought about it. You know, I think that when we're so conditioned to trauma, uh, like we've all been, take it to this example right here. We've all been in it for four years, just constant, constant. When you think it can't get any worse, it doubles down and it triple folds and, you know, ooh, 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 I got you. Ooh, I got him, you know? And it's like, I think the only thing that's going to help us is break and a respite. And uh, we need to remember, we need to remember about human kindness. We need to remember about grace. This whole thing has got me wanting to go to a small town in Texas of 1200 and do something good like bake mm. bread or, or, you know, or, 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 or start a garden. Uh, it just makes me want to go do things that are real and, and, and true, you know, and I know everybody's hurting through this thing. And how do you help people get better? How do you help just like my friend, you know, that, that, that is going through the relapse right now? How do you help people? How do you tell them it's going to be okay? The number of drug overdoses that have come from this thing is staggering. Mm -hmm. Suicides are staggering. Yeah. We, we share in a lot of childhood traumas. I, I, I wanted to, talk about uh stuff that we talked about um in when we were when we were in nashville you know growing up and and being with your mom and her singing and what, what that was like living in motel rooms and one night stands and all of that that was pretty much a, a beautiful time in my life you know um i lived for those times when i was able to be with her because i mean who doesn't want to be with their mama you know and um so it was always a very strange, it was always a very strange uh, combination. You know, when I would be with the aunt and uncle, it was very regiment and we were, we were not a, we were not a uh, wealthy family. We uh, were a one job family. He worked for AT&T and she was a housewife and they had two daughters and, and me, the extra mouth to feed. So it was loving. I mean, you know, it makes it, sometimes it makes it sound like it was so terrible because of, of the aftermath and the, what it turned into it started out very loving and very, you know, secure. Um, things just started ruining their head as time went along, you know, um, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of angst, I guess, towards my mother from my aunt, because I guess my aunt really wanted me to be hers and, uh, I guess that was this your mom's sister, your aunt, your aunt, sister-in-law. So you, it was your mother's brother. Yeah. 
I'm sure it was probably they thought that, well, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I just heard it underneath my their, their breath, you know, well, your mother's a whore and she runs around with these hippies and, and she's out there just wasting her time. You know, meanwhile, she's like one of the biggest names in country music at the time. So there was always a dichotomy of, well, you know, that's not a serious, that's not a serious job singing in beer joints and, and, and making records, you know, but yet it provided a great life, you know, and. And the latter part of it, when the, when the, when the, uh, you know, when the sex abuse started, that just kind of came out of nowhere. And really, you know, I was, I was raised by him to not be a sissy. And, you know, he caught me one time playing with my sister's Barbie doll or something when I was like three and made me put a dress on and stand in the closet and all day. And like, you're not going to, you're not going to be a sissy. You're not going to be a, it's not going to happen. And then, to have it change so drastically uh, was very strange. It's very strange. And um, did you ever talk to your sister about this? We're working on it. We're working on it. It's very, it's very, it's very slow, Joey. I mean, but we've we've made we've made those those conversations happen, and and it's 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 understood, and everybody knows exactly what was going on. Now it's just. Um, it's just a really hard thing for any family to even to even approach. It still is something that we, you know, I don't talk about it with her too much because I don't want anybody else to have these memories. I've carried them around long enough and I can't get them out of my fucking head. So why would I want to put them in somebody else's? The, the reason why I, I broach it is, you know, I, I wonder if, 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 if she was also abused. Well, I don't believe that that happened, but I do believe that there were things in the house that uh, a lot of us were just against, you know, there was, there was, there was hardcore racism in our house. There was a, there was a, there was a, a white robe hanging in his closet and that was not fake. So there were a lot of, there were a lot of, <laughs> there were a lot of things that were wrong with that situation. Um, but like, like most people, when you're in a situation like that, that's also your father or your brother or your husband or your uncle or your, you know, and you never are prepared to, you're never prepared to deal with it. Now I have a really graceful relationship with my sister now, and she's brave enough to want to do some of the work. You know what I mean? Like we're talking, it's hard stuff to hear. It's hard stuff to even ask about because it changes your life forever. Once you're brought into that conversation, there's no way it can't. And so I pray a lot about it very heavily before I even bring any of that into anybody else's stuff. And I'm okay carrying it myself. I don't need anybody else to carry that. Um, but it is making, it is making a, there is a breakthrough happening and slowly, but surely, you know, it's part of the whole process is healing and getting through it. And, but I honestly think that some things are just so de devastating and so horrible to think about that you just don't, you just can't, you know, we deal with it the best way we can. Um, my point of grace with them was the moment that they were just like, we get it. We know, you know, we knew kind of thing, you know? So, yeah. It's a, that's a, that's a, you know, I, in my, in my doing, in my talking and doing interviews the past six or seven months, past year, 
I've talked a lot about this and I've never talked about it before in my life ever, but I've found that by talking about it, the, the amount of good I think it's done for other people in this world that don't get to hear that story ever. They never talk about boys that get raped or sexually abused. Boys don't talk about it. And it's such a prevalent thing with the men in the family. It's just, it's something that happens. It's happened for centuries. And like, it's just, uh, I feel better talking about it because I get letters as soon as we do. Hey man, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cowboy out in Wyoming and five kids and a wife and never told anybody this, but thanks for, thanks for sharing that and talking about, you know, I mean, it's like, we're supposed to do stuff to help other people. We've become a society where it doesn't matter anymore. And that's fucking frightening. We really need to be, be mindful of humanity and we need to really turn off the hatred and like figure out what we can do together to make this place better because it's in a dangerous, dangerous and terribly sad place right now. I just feel having these conversations just always make me feel better. I just feel less alone and, mm-hmm. and hopeful. I, uh, you know, I, I feel hopeful that we can get through it and also breaking the chain, the, the historical chain of uh, family damage that was almost uh, gifted to me like a family heirloom from, from the broken pieces and, and, and my, and my family. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, mom. <laughs> yeah. One question I really want to know is uh, about your self care routines now and how you help yourself feel good on a day-to-day basis. And if you still have those days that are just like, you know, today's not my day. I don't, I don't, I can't get out of bed. Or if you have a day where you can't get out of bed, but you have to get out of bed for your work or for your music or for someone else, for your dog, how do you do it? I sleep a lot. That's how I deal with things. It can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I try to eat enough good food um, I don't always do the best with that, but I, I try to eat pretty well. I'm getting no exercise at all. Um, Petey and I take our walks every day outside. You know, my routine is just keeping in touch with the people that are important to me. I've got to, I try hard to, uh, to stay in touch every day. You know, there's a certain people, there are just certain people that I reach out to because that's the only thing we can do right now. You know, I'm so ready to go and be around some people and have a concert. I'm, I'm so ready to be able to go have supper with my friends. Um, we just can't do that. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a knock on wood kind of situation. Um, uh, relapsing or doing anything like that is just not anything in my mind. I think that I'm just kind of trying to stay um, as sane as I can. And um, my friend Willie Nelson told me a while back something very, very solid and profound. And I try to run my life by it. Um, And it's simply this, two things. One, you can't worry about yesterday because it's over. You can't worry about tomorrow because it's not here. The only thing we have, the only thing we have is right now. And as long as you make sure that your right now is okay, then it's always now. And so it's always going to be okay. And the rule number two is just simply don't be an asshole, you know? 
And uh, that's how I try to live my life. If, if my now is not good, well, then I try to go brew myself a cup of tea or something that's going to make me feel better. Or I go ahead and eat that Pop-Tart that I'm not wanting to eat, but I go ahead and eat it because it's going to satisfy me for a second and I'll be okay and get through, you know. Um, I think we've got to be patient until we're able to all love each other again. And I don't know how that's going to happen. I really don't, you know. It's, uh, it's just a just a strange time i think that um how are y'all doing it talking to my friends uh i isolate i'm really good at isolating i learned that from him i've been exercising taking long walks and being reflective and 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 the thing of, of starting this conversation with daniela and and having so many of our friends yourself at the top of the list, willing to discuss your life with us in, in the hopes of, uh, of people listening in and saying, hey, I, I've, I feel you. Um, gee, that makes me feel less alone. Gee, that sounds just like me. Gee, no kidding, me too. <laughs> I think it's really a big time in our life to really try to reach inside and find ways to give to others. Um, I think that's one thing that really keeps rearing its head to me. I really need to get more involved in my social community stuff around here because I think that's going to be the way that we break through this spell. If we can all just separate from the crap we've been hearing every day, mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, you know what? I mean, I've had, I've had withdrawals. I'm not going to lie over the past few weeks when, when Biden got into office and all of a sudden we had nothing traumatic happen the next morning after he was sworn in minus the insertion, you know, um, but like it, it took a few days for you to realize, Hey, wait a minute, we're waking up and there's not a whole shitstorm that's happened overnight. And there's not hate coming out of my telephone the first thing in the morning, because this, this m maniac that somehow got the keys to the kingdom is, is, uh, just at it again. It's been quite refreshing, uh, having him not, in my space and where he used to be, which was non-existent in my mind, mm -hmm. seems kind of fair. I just think that if we are all able to just maybe take ourselves out of it somehow and, and uh, when we're able, do everything we can to help everybody else's ease. Do you think that you can do that with your music and with art? Well, I mean, that's what's been happening. I mean, yeah. I, I tried to put out a record that gives some hope to people. I, I, realized, I realized what my life was about. And it's, you know what I mean? I just told my stories and, um, and it starts in a dark place. It takes you on my journey and it leaves you on a note of hope. And, mm -hmm. uh, that's what I like to do, you know? And, um, so I'm going to keep singing and I'm going to keep doing my music and hopefully those messages will get out there. I do have one more question just about country music. I always loved it because it was so beautiful in the stories that they told. But it's interesting because country music used to be a lot of like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, um, which is interesting because it's also about a lot of hurt and emotion. But it was all surface level from when you started and from when you saw your mom and your dad in it. How has it changed beyond the surface level, uh, you know, in regards to the LGBTQ community, in regards to mental health and emotions, you know, you don't just sing a song about your girl leaving anymore or your guy leaving anymore, 
But beyond that, how do you deal with that actual pain? It's it goes deeper than just writing a song. You have to advocate for it. My songwriting heroes are Bobby Gentry, Christopherson, and Willie, and my mom. You know, um, but Bobby Gentry and Chris are really my two muses. And nobody writes music like I grew up on. I'm sorry. I grew up on Merle Haggard and and Willie and Chris and and like all these writers that lived. They lived amazing lives and they told their stories. I think that songwriting has kind of gotten lost along the way because of the almighty buck. Everybody wants a dollar and everybody wants something that I think that I think that feeling got taken out of it and that that seemed to to answer some questions. Oh, we don't want to feel anything. We just want to have a good time. Well, that's that's the death of an art. That's the death of communication. It's the Mm -hmm. death of being real because you're no longer getting to the the marrow of the matter. You're you're just placating. And um, I don't know, man, I you know, it's it's interesting to see uh, what's what's going on in our in our in our industry too you know there are so many cultural differences you know i've always been gay i've always been in this business everybody's always known i was gay i've never had a problem um with anybody giving me a hard time about it now maybe i might have probably been or gotten farther had i kept my mouth shut i don't know i think i'm right where i'm supposed to be i really don't you know uh and so but it's interesting to see why it has to matter You know, and then a point in case it has to matter because if you're going to get real and you're going to tell your stories, you know, I can't release an album like I just released and not be obliged to tell people where it came from. That's not Mm -hmm. real. I'm not in this business, I guess, to be, look, I'm in this business to be successful, but I'm not going to do whatever it takes to be successful if it means doing that. Right. I'm, I've made it just fine. Looking back on the grand scheme of things, I'm nearly 50. I'll be 49 in in April. So um, when I made my decision that I was going to try to do this for a living, I've never gone hungry. I may have went to bed without food, you know, but I've never not been successful enough at this business that I'm trying to do to not take care of myself. Once I got myself together. Now there's, <laughs> you know what I mean? When I was a mess and I was screwed up back there in little Hollywood starlet, I was a mess. But uh, when I pulled myself together, you know, even during those times, I always, I always had a job. It's easy to make some money, you know, and it's easy. It's easy to eat when you're, when you're on your path, you know, I just choose to tell my stories. It seems to work out okay for me. And uh, I would much rather tell stories and, have a few people buy those records and treasure those records and uh, sell millions of them. And nobody remember your name next year because you didn't have anything important to say anyway. Yeah. I think that's why you've been successful is because you've just been honest and told your stories. I think that's what we need to do. If more people would just get on it, you know, it might heal the world. Yeah. Not worry about the fame or the money. Just do what you love and do it well. I mean, like, really, what is that about? I mean, I obviously missed that package in the in the in the pre-registration for the class because 
I was never even offered the rich and famous package or the one where, you know what I mean? That's like Orson Welles was not there with Kermit's contract for me. I was like, they were like, uh, maybe you should take the elevator or the stairs, you know? And I'm like, okay, great. That's great. I want to know about the album title. Blue Eyes, the Harlot, the Queer, the Pusher, and Me. Yeah, because it's such an interesting title. What does it all mean? Okay. Um, in 2005, my mother passed on. And uh, I was in the throes of a, of a really bad, of, of, of a bad meth addiction. And when she died, I just kind of uh, went over the deep end. And um, I moved to Nashville. And I had a lot of money because I had done some films that had done successful and and so I, I i moved to nashville and started writing songs and then proceeded to try to get as fucked up as i could so i wouldn't remember that my mother was dead mm-hmm. and uh i was lonesome and i had nobody and it just kind of spiraled out of control however in my life there are times and occasions uh and i've had this happen several times where you will just end up in the presence of a godlike man or, you know, uh, just somebody fucking incredible that catches your attention. And I've, I've nothing cap- captures my attention like a good looking man. And one of them came along that was, that uh, was a North star. His name was Tyler. And he was my, I called him, he was my drug dealer, but I also called him my phlebotomist because I could not, inject myself with drugs i i just couldn't do it and he would do that for me and we would get high and we were just it was you you know it was, you might as well have been a sexual relationship it was that intimate but it wasn't you know mm. we would just get out of our minds high and in this house over in east nashville and uh would talk poetry and and talk about art and talk about music and i was trying to make a record and he was dying of cancer and and we bonded over the silver tongue devil and I, we both loved Christopherson, all of our hearts. And it never failed whenever we were hanging out at some point in the day, Tyler would pick up that guitar and he would just all his might sing the silver and he could sing, but it was great. He it was with feeling and he went for it, you know, and he had sang that song one day and he looked over at me and goes, I need you to come up with a, a title like that or something for, this record so you can remember us and we can, we can, we can live on like this. And it just rolled off my tongue. Old blue eyes, the harlot, the queer, the pusher and me. And he looked at me and he said, my God, please remember that. Please name, please name an album that one day. And I, I promised him, well, I moved to Texas shortly thereafter in 2008. And I had been at my house in Texas for maybe four months. And I got the call that Tyler had OD'd and died. And um, I cried really, really, really hard tears for my friend that night. Um, And I went in and I wrote this song, Old Blue Eyes. And at the very end, it was like he reminded me, hey, because I didn't make the connection between the two things. It was just I had always called them Old Blue Eyes, you know. Mm. And and at the end, that, that line just rang out in my head and I didn't even know how to play the chords on the walk down, but it just happened. And, um, that was the last song that I wrote under the influence of, 
of methamphetamine for this album. So um, that was just a promise to my friend. And it's important that we tell that story because I made it out. It's beautiful. There's a lot of romance in in this record. You know, it's uh, and, you know, I'm gay, so I fall in love with handsome boys a lot. Sometimes I just can't help myself. And uh, I write songs about them. Sometimes you end up in the company of freaks. <laughs> you just better be careful out there when you open yourself up to those pretty boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember seeing you uh, downtown last year, and I don't know if it's what you said is in the body of one of your songs, but before you started this song, you said uh, to us, the audience, uh, you ever you ever realize that the most dangerous person in your life is yourself? Yeah. It just knocked me off my chair. That's a, that's a tune off of the record called dangerous criminal. And like literally when I started becoming introspective and, and, and I wanted to write about my friend Edward and how cool he was and how, you know, he became the father figure, even though he's kind of, he's a few years younger than me. And, uh, it worked out the way it was supposed to, you know, through him, I was able to watch and experience the birth of, of, of this child. That was just amazing. Lake, Lake is, uh, Lake saved my life. I mm. had him on my chest mere hours after he was born. And that was that, that boy knew me. And the older he got, the more it became apparent that he really knew me and he might even love me for some reason. And that just freaked me out. And I knew that if I did not quit what I was doing, I would not be able to watch this child grow and watching him turn into a young man has been the absolute joy of my life. It has saved my life. And it's like, I've got my own baby. Was he the great love you were talking about before? Uh, yeah, him and Edward, they, they stepped up and that was that profound experience of love. You know, like I said, I went into it expecting, oh, well, there's this guy that I'm, 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 I'm so attracted to. Oh, my goodness, this must be. You got to separate yourself from the things that you have had bred into you, you know. Mm-hmm. You in the world, I mean, like, just for example, like, you know, oh, I've met this great guy one evening. Well, what in the world makes me think he wants to sleep with me? Why is that the first thing that comes to my mind? You know, and 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 not only that, how cool of a man was he that he realized what was going on and he let me he let himself love me enough to let me get better. You know, and mm-hmm. didn't ever question it, it would fight for me, you know, uh and stuff like that. It was just, a, it was a divine, it was a divine, it was something bigger. It's beautiful. That's the best kind of love. The romantic love is great too. Bye-bye. You know, people ask me how you get, how did you get sober or whatever? I was like, well, you know, maybe it was a lie that started it out. You know, and that lie of, of falling in love with this dude that had no interest in me like that. But you know what? I freaking held on to that for dear life. And by the time I realized that it wasn't going to be, it was too late and I loved him anyway. And he loved me. So we didn't even have to deal with that. You know what I mean? It's just all about perspective. Well, that's your album. And so everyone will have to listen to it now. Oh, Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, The Pusher, and Me, available everywhere. I'm like on a chart, Joey. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I think it's fantastic. I I see those little numbers, all the people loving your music. I mean, right? Who knew? 
Who knew? Well, we all knew. Now you know. <laughs> hey, Wayland, with some of your songs, will we be able to play them? Maybe you should play Dangerous Criminal for Joey Pants. He is a dangerous criminal. He is a dangerous criminal. Well, I love you guys, and thank y'all for having me. Thank you so much. See you later, Wayland. Thank you. Sifting through the ashes of the maiden voyage Kinder left him feeling all alone Everything, everyone had moved on Tries to find his own way But he ends up on the freeway Just driving through the night To ease his bones He ain't gonna find it on this road He's a dangerous criminal You can't be bribed or bought Let it flow way down deep into your soul Can't remember truth from lies you told But still you keep on reaching You keep hoping and believing Somewhere there's a revelation on this journey that you're gone But hey boy Why are you always alone? The danger's coming on Waylon was wonderful Waylon Payne Totally honest which is so great because he's experienced some, some trauma. And the fact that Waylon can just talk about it is why we're here. And it's a gift to all of us because his artistry and his uh, vulnerability, uh, putting it in, in, in song and then sharing all of these intimate um, relationships makes for such great conversation today. I'm just full of joy and happiness and I'm, I'm less depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I love him. I love the man. Isn't it funny how talking about depression and addiction and your emotions can make you feel better? <laughs> Who knew? Who but I definitely didn't speak that much in this one. And I think that's okay because I was just so wrapped up in listening to him speak. And, you know, we have our, like, questions we want to ask, and this is all new to me, so I'm trying to be, like, a good interviewer and a good listener and, and you know, make sure that my voice doesn't get lost because I'm talking to legends. You are a legend. Waylon's a legend. Um, I'm talking to these people that I look up to and that have these careers and these stories, and I'm just me. You know, that's how I feel. Um, there's a little bit of an imposter syndrome going on within me as we do these but 
my favorite thing about that is that this podcast is something where I can say all of that and be like, you know, that one was, I didn't speak that much, but that's okay. I'm still new at this. I'm still learning. I'm still feeling all my feelings. You know, I'm looking at the list of questions and I'm like, I want to ask all these, but all at the same time, I just want to hear him speak. I just want him to talk and talk and talk because he's so honest. And he said, you know, about the legendary country artists to be able to write songs that have these beautiful stories in this heart. And, you know, he talked about his album. You have to be able to back it up. You know, he can't write an album like he just wrote and not tell his story. And I just thank him for that because so many people are going to hear this and just feel better because maybe they've experienced something Waylon's experienced and they're going to be less alone. Um, They can listen to his album and just... Maybe they cry, maybe they sing and dance, but they'll feel something. It actually has feeling and emotion, which we talked about a lot of not only country music, but a lot of music in general and film and art. You get to, there's two parts. There's the Hollywood blockbuster, then there's the independent. And he has that heart. Yeah. And, and the legacy um, of how he, he described the family business, his mama, Sammy Smith, uh, uh, the Chris Christopherson song that, you know, Chris Christopherson, I think was sweeping floors in the studio uh, that she was recording in. And, 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 and that's how she got that song. Uh, so don't forget to listen to her, her music too. You'll get it. I mean, she's, I mean, there's so much pathos and that's why I always loved country music is because you, you can feel your pain. I can feel my own pain through, these great artists yeah listen to every every name he suggested i'm gonna go and listen to all their music now because i'm you know i'm 28 i'm young i know those names i've heard them but i haven't listened to the albums and the music and i loved him if you haven't listened to his album please go listen to Waylon's album what's it called what's it called it's called <laughs> the blue eyes the harlot the queer the pusher and me and the story about how that album got its title is I had tears in my eyes. It was incredibly beautiful. And I'm very thankful to that. He shared it with us to know that. So I'm just, I'm just very incredibly thankful that we get to do this podcast and that you are my father and you have worked very hard to be in a place where you are friends with people like Waylon and other guests we have, and that we are going to be able to talk to so many people that everybody looks up to. And we just get to talk about our feelings and stories and music and art. So thank you for that. I love you, daddy. Thank you, Danny. I love you. And, and I, I I love uh, having these family gatherings with people that have meant so much uh, in my life. And this is not work. This is fun for me. It's very fun. And I hope all our listeners also think it's fun and meaningful. And so please subscribe and rate. I believe we, su- we suggest a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Send us your stories. Tell your friends. Thank you for listening to No Kidding Me Too. 